Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Twenty-eight minutes away from eight here on SCNZ Extra Time, and those are the bells, which means we are crossing live to West Island. Uh, this man's been a regular contributor on Extra Time for the last year, but it's going to be my first uh, time properly talking to him, and that's Pete Fairburn. Pete, how are you today? Yeah, good evening, Benny, and I'll tell you what, mate. Um, SEN in Australia and in NZ has always had a knack for for finding good talent under their nose and giving them the opportunity to shine and. Boy, I'll tell you what, it surprised me that, that Hutchie and Ricardo and the boys have taken a year to get you on the airwaves like this, but, uh, mate, fantastic to, uh, to have the opportunity to chat with you. Oh, I appreciate that. Can I, can I get you to write me a reference? By any, by some chance, <laughs> I'd love that would be great on my reference uh, for for the CV. Not not need to say I need it updated, but uh, thank you very much, uh, mate. We'll start talking with some uh, NRL and the uh, round just gone. Boy, there were some big scores put on. Uh, I had quite a few people give me grief over the weekend by how much the Warriors lost by, but then I said well, at least I'm not a West Tigers fan uh, who conceded seventy two points. You know what have you made of all that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think uh, what we've seen this year in the NRL competition, and uh, unfortunately for them, I think a lot of the data dropped um, on, on Thursday and Friday of last week saying, you know, there's less less blowouts, you know, the different interpretation of the, the six again rule and, 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 you know, the teams who are looking to rort that by giving away the six again, um, you know, being shut down this year. And uh, that in general, there'd been less blowouts. It was a more even competition, uh, and then we have the weekend that w- that's just been, uh, you know, and, and you start to reconsider. Look, I, I think there's a, a combination of factors at, at play here, Benny. I think, you know, clearly in the case of teams like the Warriors and the, the West Tigers, you've got a number of, of players who've had a, a pretty punishing season uh, for myriad reasons. Um, you know, certainly with the Warriors, we know the emotional toll of, of starting, um, you know, and spending so much of the season over here in, in West Island, as you like to call it. Um, you know, both teams obviously going through changes of head coach. You've got a number of players at each organisation moving on, a number of players who know that they um, they won't have an opportunity beyond this season. Um, but at the same time, you know, I still think it's really disappointing for a competition that, you know, any sporting competition that has a salary cap as its base model should really um, be able to prevent blowouts of this nature happening too frequently. So a bit of a black eye for the competition and commercially certainly not what they'd be wanting to see at this late stage of the season where really, you know, even heading into to last weekend, there's only nine teams competing for eight spots. So in terms of storylines, they're already having to go outside the box and, and find some different storylines to, to retain some semblance of relevance for those other seven teams. 
Uh, and when they get belted by that many, it doesn't exactly encourage people to keep the television switched on or to make the effort to get to the ground. Yeah, that's the other point I wanted to get to was, as you said, there's only really nine teams fighting, or there's only nine teams really still in contention with two rounds to go, and that's not really what you really want for a competition. You really want it coming down to the last round, and there's going to probably be, what, five teams competing for, what, two, three spots? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I know Kiwis don't like talking about AFL too much, but... Uh, please indulge me for a moment as I talk you through the final round of the AFL season that we've just seen last weekend. And um, it, it was quite extraordinary. We had a team in Carlton who'd spent the entire 23-round season in the top eight um, and ended up losing their match to Collingwood by one point, which saw them finish ninth and miss finals Ooh. after the Western Bulldogs had, had won earlier that day in Tasmania against Hawthorne to go above them. So you had three fixtures, um, Sydney St Kilda as well, on that final day on Sunday that all had implications for just that eighth spot on the ladder, let alone um, you know, comp, you know, just uh, you know, playing finals at all. You had um, implications across the top four, which gives a double chance in the AFL over the course of the weekend. It was a promoter's dream, and that's why there are 88,000 people at the MCG on on uh, Saturday. To watch, oh, sorry, on Sunday to watch Carlton Collingwood at a I think a 3:20 kickoff. They're not even you know, a really traditional time slot for, for a big audience. So um, that's exactly what competitions want and, and it's what we don't have in the NRL this time around. Something that's always been a bugbear of mine um, is, is obviously when you see teams who are in contention taking advantage of that loan system and getting players in to top themselves up, heading into final series, and it gives a bit of financial relief to the club who's loaning them out who... who would probably be selecting them, but being out of finals contention, it's dead money. We saw it last year really controversially with Tavita Pangai Jr. Um, he was already leaving the Broncos. He'd already signed for the Bulldogs in 2022. So he went on loan and, and finished the season at the Penrith Panthers and helped to spearhead their charge towards the premiership last year. And although he was injured and I think he missed the grand final, um, you know, clearly um, what, what that did was, was really help them with their platform in terms of getting that far in the competition. Not exactly what I'd call an even playing field. When they start the season without a player like that, then they're able to get them at a, a fairly low budget rate um, because it just doesn't serve the interests of the non-finals playing team to retain them. We've seen it this year. Um, the one that will sting for, for you guys across the ditch is probably Matthew Lodge, who we know got a massive full pay out of his contract when he left the Warriors early. Didn't work out there. And he's been able to register on a short-term contract at the Roosters, I think 140 k for, for eight or nine matches for them, which is... is you know, chump change in, in the pursuit of a premiership, really. Um, and, and, you know, again, David Nofaluma goes from the West Tigers, who, um, who admittedly hadn't been playing him, but I think most people thought it should have been. He goes down to the Melbourne Storm to strengthen that organisation after they tried to have a crack at, at getting uh, Josh Adokar back. You know, it's, it's, it's not a great element of that system and, and, and certainly doesn't help in terms of avoiding these blowouts and keeping those teams towards the back end of the ladder competitive right to the end. The other thing that you've got, um, I, I guess, in the AFL, which, uh, which is a bit different to the NRL, is you've got draft implications at play as well. Um, so if, any, you know, if, if anything, you've got greater reason to lose towards the end of the year in the AFL because you finish bottom, you get the first draft pick. But we don't seem to, to see it happen as often. There seems to be contests right into the end of that competition. 
Uh, so the NRL certainly got plenty to look at from that point of view. Exactly, and I actually do quite like AFL. I don't watch it all too much, but I definitely do enjoy following <laughs> it. And I know I didn't mention this when I when we kind of were discussing topics, but I wanted to, and I should have actually, because it's something I did want to discuss, was what on earth is going on uh, with the Bombers and sacking their coach? I know it seemed like social media just blew up uh, when uh, Ben Rutten was given the flick. Yeah, look, it's pretty phenomenal. You've got a situation where Alistair Clarkson, who's a three-time premiership winning coach at Hawthorne, uh, finished up at that club at the end of last year and, and had a sabbatical this year, went on study tours and uh, you know, did a little bit of media and he's been part of the task force to determine whether Tasmania, um, you know, the feasibility study there around whether they should have an AFL team and, and had declared he wanted to get back into the senior coaching market in 2023. Um, and, and there's you know, three teams now, but um, as recently as, as kind of, a week ago, there are only two teams in the market for a head coach. That's North Melbourne, the team he played for when he was uh, playing AFL football, who've been a basket case for a number of years, finished on the bottom of the ladder, um, strong emotional pull there, but but he had said he wanted to coach a contender. The alternative was the GWS Giants in Greater Western Sydney, who are a new franchise, you know, small supporter base, um, and, and would involve moving to another city, which probably didn't appeal to Clarkson either. So Essendon, um, in, in, in one of the more um, reactionary moves we've really seen in the, in the AFL in a number of years, decided to sack their coach, being a big, strong, powerful club, and throw themselves in the mix to try and, and usurp North Melbourne and, and sign Alistair Clarkson as their head coach. Um, you know, kind of saw it, I guess, as an unprecedented opportunity to sign a guy like Clarkson who doesn't come along very often. Problem is, these other teams have been putting four, five, six, seven weeks worth of pursuit into Clarkson, Essendon, tried to do it in three days without actually sacking their coach either. They just went and, and basically um, tried to sign Clarkson and, and didn't communicate with their coach what was going on at all. He turned them down. He goes back to North Melbourne. You've got a situation where the players are blowing up at the board and, and saying, you've undermined our coach. He coaches the last game, gets the sack anyway. Very much more reminiscent of what we might see in the English Premier League or in the NFL, you know, in, in some of these sports where where changes of coach and manager are, are a little bit more ruthless, I guess, but, but certainly not something we're accustomed to seeing in this part of the world. And, um, you know, Essendon's got a passionate fan base and they haven't had success in a long, long time, so they're certainly blowing up. Yeah, I see social media was just going berserk and it was quite fascinating seeing how many people were angry with that decision. But uh, we'll move on and we've got quite a few topics in, uh, in rugby to discuss, mate. Uh, the scrum clock... Uh, <laughs> What's your thoughts on this? Oh, look, a, a really interesting concept. I think one of the biggest challenges rugby has, uh, you know, as, as we try and make sure rugby continues to, to have, you know, such a strong influence, um, you know, on sport in the Southern Hemisphere is the fact that for a current generation who are used to being, being able to watch what they want, when they want to do it, flick channels, etc., they want to be constantly entertained and rugby is a very stop-start game. The NRL, the AFL, these competitions continue to try and speed themselves up so that you don't have an opportunity to flick channels. You know, big bash as opposed to, t- to test match cricket. That's kind of how the, the younger generation are, um, are, are, I guess, kind of consuming content. Rugby doesn't have that, and it's got a lot of scrum, uh, scrum resets. It's got a lot of time with ball out of play, that sort of thing. So the idea of introducing a 60-second scrum clock is designed to ensure that Teams are getting into position quickly and packing that scrum quickly, hopefully still safely. Um, I, I don't mind it as an idea. I think we need to look at ways in which rugby can uh, move with the times. It's a very traditional sport. It's a, 
difficult and challenging sport to bring new people into who don't necessarily understand the rules um, and who don't necessarily understand why there's so much sitting around. And when you're in a, a stadium watching a game of rugby, have a look around you and see how much time people spend on their phones because there is so much dead time. That's what, what rugby's got to try and eliminate. And this is only one small step in that process, but I think it's a positive one. Yeah, I agree. And, of course, they've had the shot clock uh, for the scrums in the NRL for a while, and teams do get penalised when that siren does go off and uh, when the scrum hasn't been set in time and the other team gets a, a penalty or a free kick. So it's it's working in the NRL, so I don't see why they can't implement it in rugby because, you know, you, you, you would agree the amount of times you actually do watch rugby in five minutes and they're still trying to reset that same scrum. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, look, obviously in rugby, you know, the, the contested nature of the scrums means there is a, a greater safety component than there is in the NRL, but... I, you know, I applaud any initiatives to speed up the game, make it a uh, you know more engaging content for the next generation of people coming through. Who, um, you know, unlike probably people of my vintage, who you had a you know a choice of switching to three or four other channels if if, if you didn't like what you were watching. You know, people now can watch whatever they want when they want to. So you've got to really you know, keep people engaged, and, and and if you've captured them in the first instance, you've got to keep them there. Uh, there's been a bit of talk recently about a draft for Super Rugby. We were touching on a draft in the NRL before, but what would you, do you think that would have a big impact in Super Rugby? Yeah, again, really, really interesting. And yeah, none of these ideas are brand new, right? They get rolled out every few years um, when we're looking at um, you know, different ways in which Super Rugby can, can continue to have a significant presence. Super Rugby's biggest challenge is the fact that it's not the number one um, competition or the number one um, aspiration for the players in its code. So very different, um, you know, to a lot of other competitions in the world where, where you know, Super Rugby is almost um, a warm-up tournament for international footy for a lot of people, and that's the lens through which it's viewed. So we've got to change that. We've got to have excitement, and we've got to have the ability to, um, you know, produce content and, and engaging media um, content around Super Rugby and not just rugby as a sport you know, for, for a greater period of the year. And I read a great interview with the new head of Sky Sky Sport over there, uh, Justin Wilson, in, in, in the spin-off over there in New Zealand, who had a really interesting take on, on some of the things Super Rugby needs to do to remain relevant, you know, for a greater proportion of the year. Look, a draft's really interesting, right? Um, you know, in the AFL, in the NBA, um, you, you've got elite talent who, who the diehard fans, you know, know who these kids are. They follow them and, and see what they're doing at a high school level. Um, or, or in the US, I guess, more so at a, at a college level. And, you know, players are getting drafted and you feel like you know so much about them as they're getting drafted. In Super Rugby, we're probably not looking at necessarily 17, 18-year-olds and a draft there that gives everyone an opportunity to, to sign the best talent because there are academies and things in place uh, designed to already capture them. And, and that's probably not going to give the code the sugar hit it wants from a you know, a, a publicity perspective, but perhaps more a draft around marquee talent, I think, could work quite well. And, and even the ability to have players, um, you know, have those borders open between Australia and New Zealand and the islands. And, you know, if you're playing for for the Hurricanes, you remain eligible for the Wallabies and vice versa. You know, wouldn't it be great to see, um, you know, if you go back 10 years or so when teams like the Melbourne Rebels came into the competition, instead of signing a Danny Sapriani, it would have been great if they could have signed a Dan Carter, but he remained eligible for the All Blacks. You know, that, that type of initiative, I think, will take Super Rugby to the next level. And, and really, now that we don't have South African teams in the competition, I think we do need to view it through a lens, you know, same as the NRL, where a player can be playing for any team in the NRL and be eligible for any country that, um, that they're able to, to represent. I, I think the same would probably apply in Super Rugby. And 
I think it'd be really exciting. You'd love to see Quade Cooper playing at the Blues. You'd love to see, um, you know, Julian Savier on the wing for the Waratahs. Why not, I say? I think it'd be a great initiative.